think every Sunday progressively we've been getting closer and closer to the heart of God, and it's like approaching a fire. At some point you feel the heat and you say, I don't want to stop here, this is pretty comfortable. I like it here. And it's like Jesus grabs our hands and says, no, we've got to get closer. And then it gets hotter. And today we heard Jesus give a directive to his followers on forgiveness. In the past few Sundays, we've been talking about love. Remember two Sundays ago, we said that, we, that Jesus sort of hit it on the head at what it meant to follow him, which meant to take up our cross, right? In other words, the cross being a symbol of God's infinite love, we're meant to go out there in the world and love infinitely. That's the posture of our heart, which sounds very beautiful until you realize that to infinitely love someone means to, in a sense, be open to infinitely expending yourself for the other. Right? It's self-giving. It's self-sacrifice. Uh, that's a high calling. And therefore, we need Jesus' life and love to imbue us with his strength to love with his love, the kind of love that God has. Our love, of course, being finite, limited, laced with self-serving attitudes. So we need Jesus. And last week, I shared a bit about my story, my life, how someone had loved me with the love of Jesus. Because part of the love means speaking the truth, Right? So love, the way we talk about it here, is not mere sentimentalism. That's something that we might find when we go out these doors. Love means blankly affirming whatever people believe about themselves or what they say or do. The true love of God isn't blank and affirmation. It's speaking the truth. Right? So I mentioned to you before, I'll say it again. Um, you guys have got to know me for the past few years, and now I'm your new rector. So that means a whole new reality is opening up, and I'm going to fail you. Right, I'm rough around the edges, and I'm, I'm being real. I'm not, you know. Uh, so I, I'm going to let you down. Um, unfortunately, it's true. At some point, I will hurt you. Right, and part of love isn't just letting giving me a pass. It would have to be you speak to me and saying, "Hey, Seth, you did this thing, or you said this thing, or you behaved in this way, and that wasn't appropriate, and you hurt me, or you hurt this person, whatever." You know, you, you know what I'm saying? It would, it would bother me. My ego would be hurt. I'd feel deflated. But it would actually be love for you to speak to me the truth. It would be unloving to let me remain in my brokenness, in my sin, let's say. Right? So that was last week. We have to speak the truth. Um, and so today, it's like the circle is getting shrinking into the heart of God. And now we're seeing uh, what it means to forgive. And it's a heavy price. At least it has to feel that way. Um, obviously, the disciples felt the same way. Peter's saying, well, seven times enough? Is that enough for me to forgive? And Jesus essentially says, uh, you have to always forgive. And that's complicated. Because, well, at least for two main reasons, although there are a lot of them. One, um, we live in a culture, a culture that more and more uh, rejects, resents and rejects an idea of forgiveness, right? Our culture more and more sees forgiveness as uh, toxic, or at least it, it's, it, it corrodes true justice. So sometimes you, you have discussions about forgiveness, especially in the light, you know, in this, in this, this decade of um, George Floyd and all these other social injustices that we've become uh, very aware of. Abroad and here at home, right? Here we talk about our church's complicity and the residential school realities, right? So when we talk about that, the word forgiveness is like a, a taboo word 
because if you sort of even sort of events that that should be part of the conversation, immediately the discussion funnels into, oh, you're forcing the victims to give a pass to the victimizers. You're trying to give a pass to people who did something wrong, and so forgiveness is not part of this conversation. No, what we want is justice. Justice is then pitted against the reality of forgiveness. And that's in the ether. So we, we swim in these waters. That's part of it. And it's important. I can't hit that fully on the head today simply because that's a, that's a dialogue. We're going to have to keep talking about that. I can't do it all of it today. I'll say a little bit about that. Uh, but we're going to go in a sense. It's a meta question. We're going to go a little deeper, a little more centrally. So that's one. But I think the core for all of us, because maybe we're not interested in being that philosophical, political, maybe not on a Sunday morning at 10. It's fine. Right? But I think when we talk about forgiveness, each one of us can invoke the life that we have led, the times that people have hurt us, right? I shared about my story last, uh, last Sunday. I grew up in a, in a home where my father was very physically abusive and I left when I was very young. And that complicated my life for a very long time. And even today, it's not like, um, yay, Jesus, I'm completely healed. No, like God has produced healing in my life, but I carry the scars. Like many of you, like all of us in this room, you live long enough, someone has hurt you. So when we talk about forgiveness, it's also intensely personal. And if we're going to be real about it, um, we have all hurt others. All right? And so each one of us, I think if we're honest, we live in the tension of struggling with forgiveness because someone has hurt us. But if we're honest, we'll go deeper because we've hurt someone. And what does that mean for me in my life? How do I appraise who I am? In the light of what I've done, there are two things, right? And then there's Jesus. And he gives an answer. I mean, Jesus often speaks very cryptically sometimes, and you've got to get the commentaries out or talk to your pastor. But this one is one of those where he just sort of, and he gives a story just to highlight it. There's a servant who was forgiven, like, a, he owed his master like a billion dollars, which is a ludicrous amount of money, but something that no one could really pay. Oh, forgive me, master. Oh, I'll pay you back, which is a funny second to say, because, you know, none of us could pay back a billion dollars. But he says, oh, I'll find a way to pay you back. And the master has pity on him and says, don't worry, I got it covered. And right after that, that servant who was forgiven the billion bucks goes out there and he sees a buddy of his who owes him 10 bucks, more or less. Oh, dude, I, I, I'll get you 10 bucks. I'm going to get this to you. And he chokes him, it says, so incredible anger, chokes him, and he Throws him in jail, which if you are familiar with the, the, the history of what's called debtor's prison, which really at this point is still just prison, um, it's a horrible place to be, right? It's, uh, you can just sit there and chill for a while. Uh, you're made to work in a way that's torture. And when the master hears about what the servant did, I forgave you a billion, you couldn't forget 10 bucks? Well, now you're going to go to the prison until you pay back every cent of that billion dollars. That's we're meant to be. We're meant to place ourselves in that story, my friends, and it's uncomfortable. And so, I guess that what I want to say, I got to keep it brief. My wife is up to the ten minute mark because um, we could go really long on this one. I want to preface by saying uh, what I say here today. Yeah, at, at, at least should be the beginning of a dialogue and conversation. So please come talk to me after. We can get coffee. Uh, coffee, hour, we can talk about it. It's a lifelong process, right? 
But I got to say, hopefully, elucidate, hopefully, what Jesus is saying here to us so that we can hear it. Um, forgive, why would Jesus say that we need to forgive always? And when I think about my life, for example, with my father, I'm a dad now. And in, more, in a way, it's more and more it becomes so surreal how someone could hurt their, ch- their children, given how much I love mine. I, it's a mentality I don't understand. But here's a person who lived that life. And for years, I closed my heart to my father, to that person. I'm just going to tell you my story. I guess we got to continue it to see how it plays out. And I'll tell you, uh, I came to Christ when I was in my early 20s. So 21, 22-ish, around there. Uh, mind you, I think the, the pebble didn't land in a serious way until I was 27, 28. And it wasn't until I was probably 31, and I was serving as a, a family's minister at a local church in Toronto, that the, uh, the, the, the priest invited me to, hey, you should give a sermon. You know, if this is what you're trying to do, you should practice. And so the passage that was given uh, was a passage like this on forgiveness. That was the theme for that Sunday. So that's what I had to preach. And I remember preparing a little, I had a little typewriter and I was writing out my, my sermon and it hit me like the sack of potatoes right to, right to the chest. God saying, you're about to teach my people of forgiveness and you haven't forgiven me that. You're about to go up there and you haven't done anything. The thing is, I thought I had I'd done years of counseling. You know, I had sent him, a, I think, a letter at some point. I thought I had forgiven him. And there I'm sitting, and the truth was I, I hadn't. I'd seen my sister, my older sister forgive him, uh, visit him, have a relationship, start a relationship with him. She, he met her kids, and I was so livid that she had done that. I remember talking to her, like, are you serious? Do you remember? I remember what he did to you. I was so angry. And... But I also heard what God was saying in that moment. And uncharacteristically, I listened. And I uh, went to the, the phone. It was in the St. Matthew's office. I grabbed the phone. And I, because I had, my sister had given me the number. She'd been telling me for like two years that I should say hi to him. I had the number. I gave him a call. And I didn't know I was feeling everything. And I was also kind of numb. But on the phone, he picked up. I introduced myself. And then we spoke. For a minute or so, I don't know, it felt like forever, but it's probably really short about the weather. He asked me how I was doing, how he knew I had a family, so how was my family? I said, oh, they're, they're, they're good, they're, they're healthy. And then he said, he was, he was saying something. I, I think I wasn't listening. But then he said at some point, um, oh, I just want to, uh, in Spanish, by the way, but it, he, I want to encourage you or admonish you, be gentle with your children and just love them. And so he said it to me. And um, I think I just time stopped. I got kind of froze a little bit. I thought, wow, you're, you're saying that to me. This is a surreal thing to hear. You're, you're telling me that. And part of me wanted to just gush out in all manner of anger and vitriol or chastise him. And um, I think all I did was say, like, no, yeah, you're right, Dad. Yeah, I love my kids. Yeah. I'll be gentle. And then we just spoke for a little bit. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. And he tried to say something, but like, I think he tried to apologize, but how can you apologize for a whole life in, in a sentence? He tried to say something, I'm like, Dad, don't worry about it. We're okay. I forgive you. We're okay. We'll, we'll talk soon. And I'm up. And 
I didn't know at the time what that moment meant. Uh, I've been processing that for, I guess, the past seven years. But so for now, I can say that was very costly. It was a costly moment. It hurt. It was wildly uncomfortable. Um, why would God ask us to enter those moments? Has to be the question. Really. Why forgiveness? And I'll give you two answers that really are two sides of the same coin. Uh, the first, this one I've learned uh, from people that I deeply admire, such as uh, well, writer Maya Angelou, poet, I'm sure you're familiar with her name, fantastic writer, but also who I've promoted to you before, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and his work and his writings. Um, they both, very different people, uh, unite on this one thread. And I'm, I'm leaning on them because they've had more world experience than I have. I have to be honest about that. I have my own life. They have their lives, and they have been wildly political figures who have negotiated and navigated some of the big waters of our times. So it's good to, to hear what they're saying. And they both, they'll both say two things, actually. Both uh, have been public in rejecting the Nuremberg trials that occurred after World War II. So they've been very public about that. That the idea that you could bring these, uh, sort of capture uh, these uh, perpetrators of gross evil and put them on, on trial and somehow in the verdicts uh, bring about justice, it was kind of a farce. It really gave a platform to uh, experience the worst part of ourselves, which is the thirst for vengeance. Right? That's a complicated statement. I'm not saying you have to agree to it. I'm just saying they said that, and I find their arguments compelling. Right? And Desmond Tutu definitely uh, not only believed that, but he was crucial when it came when apartheid was being dismantled in South Africa to not go that way. They weren't going to do the whole trial and then heavy uh, sanctions and verdicts on criminals, what they did was, as you may know, they provided a period where there was amnesty so that people who perpetrated evil could come forward and say what they did. They weren't going to get in trouble because Desmond Tutu and the leaders of that nation knew that in order for healing and true justice to occur in that nation, truth had to be spoken. Everyone had to know not only what individuals did, but you needed that testimony to know how the system had broken this nation. And that if they're to judge the system, everyone has to say what they did, and then you can get a picture of what was going on. And so amnesty was given, right? Immunity, so people could just come forward and say what they did. And this is a story that I know I've shared here before, but it's worth hearing at this moment, which Desmond Tutu was on the panel with other leaders, and they were hearing the stories, and one story came forward, and it was uh, a, a, a police force came forward, and they admitted that while uh, one of their uh, parties, one of their police parties were having a barbecue, part of the event of the, of the day was the police officers went to the local black township, and they randomly arrested random individuals. They had no crimes, they just could. They arrested a random group of adults, they brought them back to the police station, and then they put them in a kind of a cage, and then they burned them alive. And then they joked about it. They call it the double barbecue. They had their barbecue going, and they had this murder, this gross murder. And Desmond Tutu's there, and the panels are there. And what's more, the families of these people were in the room too. And they had to hear this. 
This gross evil. They were saying it because they were they weren't gonna get in trouble. And then after they shared their testimony, the blood curling testimony, if you read it, then many, not all, but many of the family members of the victims came forward and they said, um, we forgive you. They said to the police officers, we forgive you. And when they were asked why they were forgiving these police officers, the family members came forward and said, well, we follow a rabbi when he was being murdered on a tree, he said, I forgive you. And we follow this rabbi. and Therefore, we want to say to these police officers, we forgive you too. And Desmond Tutu writes that he had wished with all his heart that at that moment he would have said, let's all take off our shoes because we're standing on holy ground. Something unprecedented in the history of history occurred in that room. You know, commentators and historians will tell you, but that by all accounts, when apartheid was taken down in South Africa, that should have been murder on the streets. Never, oh, you have, I challenge you to find a place in history where an oppressed majority, once they gain ascendancy, didn't obliterate their oppressors. Find one. I think we can really only point to a place in South Africa and in that room. Why? What happened? Why was that possible? Because we're coming to learn what Jesus, of course, knows and is teaching us. That justice to be justice must be paired with compassion because only there can you see and understand the humanity in the other. Right? Because if you call only for justice, only for atonement for what's wrong, which is what we see out there, well, what you get is what we have, cancel culture. Seeing someone you disagree with and then turning them into a cartoon, a 2D version of themselves that you can easily dismantle and attack and aggress and you don't see their humanity. Which means that plays out into a history that perpetuates itself of violence, of hatred, which riddles the human history. But the forgiveness, what it does, forgiveness to be forgiveness has to be tied with compassion it allows you to see someone in their full humanity. Yes, they made a mistake. Yes, they made a gross mistake, but they're also human. They're not reducible to the worst of what they've done. So they remain human. And when you're able to see that in them, you're able to then see that in yourself. Because there's no lonelier place in this world that means you by yourself in the mirror, and you can't see yourself, and you can't forgive yourself. The truth is, as much as we need to forgive those in our lives that have hurt us, I have to do that. I know I do. We need to be forgiven. Because this world that we inhabit with serious injustices, the housing crisis here in Banff, that people try to work here, they can't work here because they can't live here, because they can't afford it, predatory renting. I had a buddy of mine. He lived in my house for two weeks and had to go back to England because the person just kicked him out, had no protections, at least he got some of his money back for his, for his rent and deposit. Out. And that's not a unique story. It happens. This world doesn't just pop into existence out of thin air. It happens because all of us are complicit in a system that hurts and destroys. And if you're honest about our life, I'm honest about my life and you're honest about yours, 
then how we live and how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we advocate or don't advocate, we uphold the system. You're born, you don't know that. My children don't know that. But by the time that they're at an age where they can begin to understand that, the scary part is they'll see how for years they've been complicit. It's like you're awakened and you're born into a trap. You're like, whoa, I'm, I, I just learned about this and now I realize that I've been guilty for years. Oh, this sucks. And so you're trapped. What can you do? Well, what do you do? Well, the, the popular strategy is to find, find the bad guys out there. Uh, bigots here. Let's all attack and hate this, this group over here. Because if you attack someone, then you don't have to see how I'm guilty to. You focus on somebody else. And yes, that could also be wrong with their doing evil, but it's a way of, of equivocating, of not, hey, don't look at me. I'm one of the good guys. The bad guys are over there. But as a famous Russian author, Alexander Solitsyn said, the line of evil action, he was in the gulags. He saw firsthand the evil of, of the people coming together to take control. And he was launched like many others in the Russian gulags. And he said, what I've come to learn, it's not us and them. The line of evil runs through the human heart, through all of us. We're all in some level complicit. Therefore, all of us need the healing power of forgiveness because all of us need to feel human again. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must forgive and forgive and always forgive because he's saying, that's what I'm going to do to you to make you human once again. My death on the cross means that I take you into my body, myself, all your brokenness, all your sin, all your evil, and I'm killing it. You think you're murdering me, but I'm actually killing what's hurting you. And when that happens, I will always forgive you. I will always be there, no matter what you do, no matter how often you do it. If you come to me in repentance and faith, I will all, before the words are coming out of your, your mouth, I'm going to bear hug you. And that is the love that transforms our hearts. That's the kind of forgiveness and love that transforms South Africa from bloodshed into a it's not a perfect country, but they can say, I think, with a measure of pride, when, when power changed here, it wasn't a bloodbath. That is unique in the history of history. Guatemala, not too long ago, had uh, their first change in power, where it wasn't a bloodbath, first time in their history, in the modern age, and it was a Christian movement. Well, different denominations got together around the capital, and they were seeing, and they were praying, and there were people advocating for violence, and they were saying, no, we're not doing this. We're forgiving, we're loving, we're seeing hymns. And a new president took over, and it wasn't a bloodbath. Is that a perfect system? No. But change is happening. But change is predicated on something new in this world. That no matter what you've done, you're not defined by the worst that you've ever done, that you are loved, and that you are forgiven. If only you seek it. My friends, we're about to go to the Lord's table. We're about to have Holy Communion, which is God's forgiveness, God's life. He's pouring out his life for us on the cross. We come here each Sunday, we're going to talk about it, see what that means. But I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know your story. You know a bit about mine. But each one of us is carrying hurt. Each one of us is carrying a story where someone has really hurt us. And we're struggling to, to, to make sense of that. And each one of us, if we're honest, is also carrying a story where we've hurt somebody. And maybe we're trying to keep those lines blurry because we don't want to take responsibility. That's the part we don't talk about. 
you know, during cocktail hour. But this is a place of honesty. The truth is, Jesus, God already knows about that. God sees through each one of us all the way down, and he loves us. The best thing you can do is bring it to him. I encourage you as we sing our, our next hymn, we're going to pray together, that you bring your heart to the Lord. Say, this is who I am, in the complexity and the brokenness that I am. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me. Help me to forgive others. The promise is he will forgive you. And by forgiving you, will empower you to be an agent of love, justice, and forgiveness in this world. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your love, for your forgiveness and your grace. God, as many times as we forget you, you never forget us. You're always just there, so eager, so willing to forgive us and give us your love. Help us, empower us to open our hearts to you, to trust you, to live our lives in the light of your love and your grace. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.